But the question that we often wrestle with is how? How do we do that? How can we be more like Jesus? It can seem impossible. It can seem unachievable. And that's what we're looking at in this series. That The title is More Like Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Because one passage in Galatians chapter 5 uh, really helps us to see how we can be more like Jesus. I'll just read uh, the scripture that is our kind of foundation and springboard for this series. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So this is a series looking at how we can be more like Jesus, focused on the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the Greek word translated fruit refers to the, the natural product of a living thing. And Paul used this analogy of fruit to help us understand that the product of the living, breathing Holy Spirit who is inside every believer. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of you is that it produces peace, patience, kindness, joy, self-control. That the fruit of God living inside of you is those attributes. It's not something that we work up by hard work and diligence. It is a fruit of the living, breathing Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, the Greek word is singular. It shows us that, that, that this is talking about the fruit. It's talking about all nine. This is a, a unified all aspects of the work of God in our lives. It's not about the independent characteristics of one fruit over here and one fruit over there. The Greek word is all of the characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit. And as we grow as Christians, we are called to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Now that is a challenge. That's a challenge for all of us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. But as we do, we become more like Jesus. That's, that's what this passage is saying to us. If we grow in peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, we become more like Jesus. Now, physical fruit needs time to grow. And the fruit of the Spirit does not ripen overnight in our lives. The, the growing of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is part of the discipleship process. It is part of becoming more like Jesus. That's, that's our life as a believer. Hopefully we become, as we grow through life, more like Jesus. Jesus. We grow in these fruits of the Spirit. 
And my prayer for all of us is that the more the Holy Spirit just dwells inside of us, the more the fruit of the Spirit is displayed and the more it points people to Jesus. That's the heart behind this series. Now, Paul mentions nine characteristics. There's nine characteristics there to describe the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Last week, Jen did a fantastic job in, in kicking off the series and looking at the fruit of love. You can argue that, that all the fruits of the Spirit flow from love. If you have love, you will have kindness, gentleness, patience, gentleness, self-control. If you have love in abundance, all those other fruits will flow from it. And Jen looked at how Jesus is our greatest example of love in action. And the more we have the love of Christ in our lives, the more the love of Christ will flow out to the lives of others. So today, we're going to look at the next two of the fruits of the Spirit. And we'll be doing that over the next few weeks. We've got two at a time over the next few weeks. So I'm going to look at the fruit of joy and the fruit of peace. Now, when we talk about joy, it's vital to make a distinction between joy and happiness. Happiness is a feeling that is triggered by an event. Happiness is, is fleeting and only for this earth. So I can feel happy because my football team won. I can feel happy because of an achievement. I can feel happy because the girl of my dream said yes. I can feel happy for any number of reasons. But that happiness is temporary. And that happiness is all about me. Joy, on the other hand, is different. Joy is internal. Joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. Joy is a lasting inward contentment that is dependent upon Jesus and not upon ourselves. Joy is eternal, not temporary. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. So, so it's important right at the outset to differentiate and say joy is very different from happiness. They are completely different. And if we understand that joy is not a feeling, I believe that will set many of us free. It will set us free from the need to feel a certain way. You see, sometimes as Christians, we, we feel like we have to always be happy. We have to always have this sense of kind of false happiness in our lives. But, but joy is not a feeling. It is something that is eternal and a work of the Holy Spirit. Joy is not the absence of pain and suffering. Joy is not the presence of the spectacular. Let's look at a verse, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. 
Let us then fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, it's important here to see that the joy of the Lord, the joy that scripture talks about, is not in an event. It wasn't like Jesus was there up on the cross and finding great pleasure and joy in nails being riveted to his hands. It wasn't that Jesus found great joy at Calvary in being spat upon by the soldiers, in being ridiculed and whipped. No, there was no joy in that. There was pain. There was suffering. But there was a joy in the outcome. There was a joy in knowing that what he was going through would defeat Satan once and for all. There was a joy in knowing that the purpose of him going to the cross was so that each one of us could be saved, so that all could come to know Jesus who put their faith and trust in him. That was where the joy came from. You see, the world that we live in, the world around us, tells us that in order to be happy, don't think about death. Don't think about the difficult things of life. The the, the 17th century philosopher uh, Pascal said, in order to be happy, the world says, don't think about death. Don't think about the wickedness of the nature of the world. That's what the world around us does. It says you can be happy by blocking out the difficult questions, by blocking out the bad news, by blocking out what what might become of this world, by blocking out the the impact of your your life and, and your faults and your mistakes. But Christian joy is so very different. Christian joy is anchored in the facts of our faith. So you may ask, Mark, how? How does the fruit of joy grow in my life? Let me help you here. Three words. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. So, It sounds strange, but in order to know joy in our lives, we need to know that we are guilty. Not shame, not kind of condemnation, but healthy guilt. Because unless you have a sense of the guilt of your life, of the things that you have done wrong, you won't understand the grace and the gratitude of what Jesus has done for you. The Bible says, Romans 3, 24, 25, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It also says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. In other words, that for all of us, we are in a miserable state. That's our state before God. We are guilty. We are hands up, guilty. But the answer to guilt is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. 
That's the answer to guilt. Grace, God's lavish, beautiful, perfect, amazing grace. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the fact that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, but then alive in Christ. It paints the picture in the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 2 of the death and the destruction and the helplessness of our state. And then from verse 5 onwards, talks about the grace of God that we have been set free in Christ Jesus. That God is rich in mercy. That Jesus is our savior and our rescuer. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you see, the only, that the only response to grace is gratitude. Gratitude about what Jesus has done. Grace and gratitude belong together. The response to the wonder of grace is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. I was a miserable sinner, but you came and died and set me free, and now I am alive in Christ. So you see, well, you ask me, Mark, how do I grow joy in my life? Well, joy comes from knowing that we are guilty, but knowing that the grace of God sets us free and then living in the gratitude and let the gratitude turn to joy. So I wonder, let me ask you a question. I wonder, are you a joyful person? Not a happy person. Are you a joyful person? You might want to ask someone that knows you well, someone that spends time with you regularly. Am I a joyful person? Do I, do I demonstrate joy in my life? It's a challenging question to have someone ask of you. Are we people of God who have an internal joy in our hearts? Are you a joyful person? Now, just before we move on, I want to talk about two things very briefly. I want to talk about two joy stealers because the joy of the Lord is our strength knowing that we are guilty yet the grace of God saves us and that we are full of gratitude living in that joy is where God wants us to be but there are many joy stealers in this world and I'm just going to pick two very briefly two things that steal our joy the first one is comparison comparison. We go compare, and when we go compare, we lose our joy. We compare, well, where are they going on holiday? Or, well, I haven't been on holiday. Or, what are they wearing? Or, well, what am I wearing? Or, what's their job prospects? Well, my job prospects are nothing. I'm in a dead-end job. Well, their finances are in a great place, and mine are in a terrible place. You see, nothing destroys joy like comparison. And what we find ourselves doing is this. We're like, there, 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 looking left, left, right, left, right. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it hurts our neck. It hurts our soul. And it robs us of joy. Comparison will rob you of joy like nothing else. You see, you cannot compare your calling to others' calling. You cannot, you cannot, 
The joy of the Lord is your salvation. There is joy in your calling, the calling that God has put on you, the lane that he has given you to run your race with your eyes fixed on Jesus. There is joy in the assignment that God has given to you right now in 2022. There is joy in your calling, your assignment, and the place that God has put you. But the minute you start comparing, the minute you start looking, the minute you start comparing, it robs you of joy. What does Jesus do in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the scripture that we read? What does he do? It says, it was for the joy set before him. In other words, he, he looked ahead. That's the key to live in a place of joy, is to look ahead to what God is calling you to. Not to the left and not to the right, but to look ahead with your eyes fixed on Him. You want more joy in your life? Decide what you focus upon. And then the second joy stealer is forgetfulness. We forget. Let me just read Psalm 103. Let me just read the first two verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see, I think so often we lack joy because we forget what Jesus has done for us. We forget the amazing cross where Jesus died for us. We forget that it was for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You know, that's why it's so important to regularly engage with church and a community of God's people, because it helps you to remind yourself of these truths. It's why Jesus gave us communion. He gave us bread and wine so that we did not forget what he did for us on the cross. To remember that he took my punishment, that my eternity is secure. So often we lack joy because we forget. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is something that Satan hates to see in believers. It is joy that helps you to stand firm in the midst of discouragement and challenges. And again, I'll say, Satan cannot handle joyful Christians. There's nothing that he can do if you are joyful with an internal sense of the grace of God, with a gratitude and reminding yourself regularly of what Jesus has done there is nothing that Satan can do to a believer who stands on the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, church, we want to grow in the fruit of joy. Let's now look at peace. So the fruit of joy and the fruit of peace. Now, in 2022... People around us, people in the world, and even people in the church, 
demonstrate so little peace. Instead, there is tension, there is fear, there is anxiety, and there is misunderstanding. But so little peace. As Christians, we are called to be different to the rest of the world. So let's look at a scripture. Let's look at Isaiah 26. And let's look at verses 1 to 4. I hope this scripture will really help us when we look at the concept of peace and growing in peace in our lives. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Verse 3 says there that we are to be kept in perfect peace. That word peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. And shalom means wholeness. It means completeness. It means peace with other people. It means peace with ourselves. It means peace with our circumstances that we find ourselves in. The word shalom is, is, is a wholeness of peace. Now, in this particular verse, in Isaiah 26 and verse 3, it actually says the word shalom twice in the Hebrew. It says that we are to be kept in perfect shalom, shalom. It's a double portion of peace. That's what it says in the Hebrew. It is talking about a peace that is beyond human understanding. Now, I want to be really clear on a number of things when we talk about peace. Firstly, peace does not mean that you will not have troubles in this world. John 16 and verse 13, Jesus says very clearly, you will have troubles in this world. You will have arguments with other people, work colleagues, even people in the life of the family of church. You will have disagreements with your husband, your wife. There will be moments that are not full of peace. There'll be fallings out. There'll be disappointments. Jesus says very clearly, you will have troubles in this world. So the perfect peace of God, the shalom of God, is not found in the absence of problems. This is really important. True peace is found in the presence of God. That's where true peace is found. Peace is God's presence. God's presence 
brings peace, that is not dependent upon your circumstance. If you have the most troubling, difficult of circumstances, you can still be at peace because you have God's presence, God's peace, living, dwelling inside of you. You say, well, Mark, how is that possible? How is that humanly possible to have shalom, to have peace in my life with all the struggles and difficulties and troubles of this world? What it tells us in Isaiah 26 and verse 3, it tells us that the key to peace is the battle of our minds. It tells us that we are to have our minds fixed on God. If we want perfect peace, if we want shalom, it's about where we fix our minds. It's about where we give our minds the attention to drink from. Are we drinking from the news well? Are we drinking from the financial worries of this world? Are we drinking from how other people see us up and down and all around the place? Or are we drinking from the perfect peace, the shalom of God. Now again, I want to give you another little bit of Hebrew that just gives so much more depth and breadth to the English. When it talks there about those whose minds are steadfast in the NIV or in the NLT, who those whose minds are fixed, that word steadfast or, or fixed, minds steadfastly fixed on God, Minds that are, that are kind of focused on God. The, the Hebrew word there is samak, S-A-M-A-K. And it means to, to lean on complete. That's what it means. To fully rest upon God. To fully rest on God's promises and God's truth. You're lacking in peace. You're worried about the culture we live in. You're worried about politics. You're worried about your family. You're worried about health issues. You don't know what the future will bring. Samak, lean yourself completely, wholeheartedly on the promises of God. Philippians 4, verse 8 to 9 says it this way. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And here it comes. And the God of peace will be with you. What is your mind fixed upon? If your mind is fixed upon the comforter, your heavenly father, the conqueror, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who is our good shepherd, the one who is our wonderful counselor, if our mind is focused upon him, if it leans upon him completely, 
then we will experience his peace. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. God gives us his peace. We receive through the Holy Spirit the same peace inside of us that Jesus had when he was walking this world. So that's how Jesus is able to be asleep in the midst of a storm because the peace of God rested and dwelt inside of him. And so for each of us, when we go through the storms of life, we can have peace because the same peace that Jesus had in the boat, we can have in our storm and in our pain and in our difficulties. Through the Holy Spirit, you have the same peace that Jesus had in your life. Jesus gives us his peace. True peace is found in the presence of God. So let me close with this. Many of you might know what I've talked about. You go, yeah, I, I know that, Mark. I've heard that before. Yep, I know that to be true. But we don't always experience it in our lives. So let me give you two steps of how we can grow in the fruit of peace in our lives. Two steps. Firstly, we need to practice peace. What do I mean by that? We need to train our minds. We need to train our minds daily. We need to daily take God's word and let it help us to fix our minds on him. To, to lean steadfastly and then receive the presence of God. To lean on his promises so that we receive his peace. All of us, I'm no different to you, all of us will wake up some mornings and it's negative thought after negative thought after negative thought. You're negative about your day because you know you've got to meet. You're negative about your day because you've just read the news. You're negative about your day because things don't seem to be going the way that you want them to go. So you then need to train yourself to capture and take every thought captive. And saying that is not a thought from God. I am dismissing that thought. And I am taking a truth from scripture. And I'm replacing that truth in my mind. And I am thinking and I am meditating on that truth. And as I do so, the peace of God comes. We need to train, to practice, to be diligent in practicing peace. If you journal, write down. The truth of God. I find that very helpful to physically take a pen and to physically write on a piece of paper a truth, a scripture that reminds me of the truth and not the lies and the rubbish which is out. Sometimes I will declare outward, out loud, the truth of God. I will praise Sometimes in the midst of a difficulty, I will be singing or worshiping and praise the Lord in the midst of, of, of a difficult storm or situation. 
I don't get it right all the time. It's still a battle for me. But I'm telling you, we need to practice peace. We need to train our minds. We need to fix and steadfastly go after the peace of God. That's the first step. And the second step is, as long as we practice peace, we must also pursue presence. Because peace only comes from God. And, and peace and the presence of God is not the absence of heartache and loss and disappointment. In fact, often the truth is, that is in the moments of deepest loss and heartache and pain that we experience the presence of God. There's just something about it. When, when times are tough, when things are difficult, when we're in the midst of a storm, then, then we experience the presence of God. So let me challenge you and say, ask for more of his presence. Ask for more of his peace. Jesus said, didn't he? Jesus said very clearly, peace I give to you. Peace is yours. Come and ask me for more of your spirit. Come and ask me for more of your presence. And as you do, you will experience the peace of God, the shalom, the completeness of God's peace that transcends all understanding. It is possible in the storms of life, pain and hardships and grief, to be full of peace. Because that's what God's presence gives us. It gives us his peace. Peace is, is a gift from God. It's a gift from God in our painful, difficult, messed up world. It is a gift from God. My challenge to you today is to pursue his presence. Ask for more of his spirit. As you ask for more of his spirit, his peace will come. God's presence brings peace in even the most challenging, painful, and difficult circumstances. So we've covered a lot of ground today. We've looked at joy, and we've looked at peace. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The peace of God that transcends all understand. In a minute, the band are going to come up and we're going to worship. But my final word to you on this today is that both the joy of God and the peace of God are kind of twofold. There's an asking for more of the Spirit. There's Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit, be more present in my life because it's the fruit of the Spirit. So the more that the living, dwelling Holy Spirit is in your life, the more there will be the fruit of love and the fruit of joy and the fruit of peace. It's twofold because part of it is that. It's just saying, Holy Spirit, come. But then part of it is we need to then kind of like work in tandem with the Spirit. We need to work in tandem with what God pours into our life. So in terms of joy, we need to not let comparison or forgetfulness 
rob us of joy. We need to be reminded that I am guilty, but the grace of God has set me free. I am loved and forgiven, and my gratitude and my, my joy will bubble up. And I will remember the shalom of God. And I will remember that as I fix my eyes on him, as I lean completely on his promises, then the peace of God. I will train my life. I will train my mind to battle the, the difficulties that I face and the lies of the enemy. I will train my mind to receive his peace. It's twofold. There's a receiving, Holy Spirit, come. And then there's a part that we need to take action. And there's a part where we need to work in 